0: Welcome to Passion Life Church. Continuing today our series called Fearless. Everybody say, I am fearless. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn this morning to Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. It doesn't matter who you are, we all face fear different types of fears, right? We all have, and those fears can come in different shapes and sizes. And, you know, there are some people who, who study phobias and uh, what they have found out is that we are born with two fears, basically two fears. We are born with the fear of loud noises. We are born with the fear of falling. But in the same research, what they have found is that there are over 2,000 different phobias. Pretty interesting. And some of them are very, very interesting. I was looking at them and did you know that there's a phobia phobia? There's actually a phobia of being afraid. There's a fear of having fear. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. Did you know that, and I don't know where people get this one from, that there's a popophobia. There's a fear of the Pope. There's a fear of the Pope. I don't know people when they see him, you know, and he's trying to kiss little babies and stuff, and and they're like, oh, there's the Pope, and he's going to see all of my sin, and so uh, the Pope scares me. I, I don't know where that one comes from. There's a, a, a scopophobia, and that is the fear of being looked at. Please don't look at me, okay? Just please do not look at me, because you and your look will make me afraid. And then this one. I don't have this one, but I know some people, some gentlemen in this room do. It's called the panthrothobia, and it's fear of your mother-in-law. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that that is a prevalent fear? I'm thanking God that uh, my mother-in-law is watching today, and uh, she's a great woman, and my wife told me to say that. Okay, no, I'm kidding. We, we really love her, and uh, she's, she's, she's a, great, um, a great help to our family, great woman, great woman of God. And so it's interesting because if we're only born with two fears, that actually means that we learn other fears. And sometimes we can learn that through our family. It's passed down through our families. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave a legacy of fear to my family. I don't want to leave a legacy of fear to my community. So what it means is that we are actually learning fears if we are only born with two. But here's the great news, Passion Life Church. The great news is this. If you've learned them, you can unlearn them. Can I hear a good amen today? You you can unlearn them. And so what we've been doing in this series, we've been looking at a, at a man in the Bible, his name is Beniah, and he is just fearless. And when you read the Bible, it's interesting because it's so easy to overlook his remarkable victories that, that he's done. Beniah is like this hidden hero of the Bible. Beniah attacked his giants. This is what we learned about in part one. He didn't run from them, he attacked them. And what he did is he had a different mentality than a lot of people had Today, he saw his problems as opportunities, not just mere opportunities, but actually opportunities for promotion. I'm going to tell you next week, don't miss next week because we're going to go further into his life. You're going to see what happens because as he continues to um, go to different levels and face his fears, God is continually going to promote him. And so he realized, and many of us need to realize this, Beniah realized that. The life that he wanted, the life that God had for him was on the other side of his greatest fear. Can I hear a good amen today? What he realized was life that he desired to have, the dreams that he had, he was going to have to face problems. And when he would do that, he would experience what God has for him. And so today, let's look at his story one more time and dive in a little bit deeper. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20 says this, Benaiah was the son of Judiah, the son of a valiant man, everybody say valiant man, from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab, he also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, one translation says with a club, and he wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own hand. Spear. Verse 22. These things Benaiah, the son of Jodiah, did, watch this. He did this to win a name among the mighty men. Here was his goal of his life. I want to win a name among the mighty. I hope that that is your desire today to live a life that is among the mighty. Can I hear a good amen today? We have a church today. We don't want to be a wimpy church, a church that the community doesn't know about. We want to be a church. Church that is named among the mighty, not just here in Marietta, but around the world. Can I hear a good amen today? He wanted to win a name among the mighty. You say, Pastor Phil, well, that really doesn't sound humble. Well, I think what you under, you're going to understand about Beniah is that... Um, Yeah, it doesn't sound humble, but he had a goal because it wasn't just about him and his name. You're going to see next week. He wanted to glorify God. He wanted to make sure that the kingdom of God was advancing. And how was he going to do this? He was going to do this by little victories that he would win in his life. He would find that would push the kingdom of God forward. That's why your victories matter, my church family. That's why little victories matter. Because the little victory that you get, the little... A fear that you face is going to build confidence in you and it's going to become a part of your testimony that's going to move the kingdom of God forward and I've entitled today's message it's time for the turnaround that's today's message will you say that with me say it's time for the turnaround come on say it right there on your couch if you're watching today it's time for the turnaround one more time everybody together it's time for the turnaround Beniah is in an interesting position because today what he's doing is he's facing an Egyptian. And the Bible says that this Egyptian, you know, it's interesting sometimes how the Bible describes certain people, but I think it's important because, right, what, what does the quote say? A picture is worth a thousand words. The Bible says that this Egyptian was a spectacular man. In other words, he was a spectacle to see, He was a giant. Uh, Historians tell us that he was probably between seven and a half feet tall, this Egyptian. And he comes to Benaiah with a spear in his hand. A spear in his hand. Now, if you study this out, this is like a weaver's beam. And so I researched this today, and this beam, this spear for this particular giant of an Egyptian, was probably about eight feet tall, eight to nine feet tall. The head of this spear, the arrowhead of this spear, just the head of it, was probably about 20 pounds. When you read about Goliath, it talks about his his, his armor and how much it weighed. It was, it was very, very weighty. And so he comes at Beniah. But the Bible says this: Beniah comes at the Egyptian with only a small club in his hand. Now, if you were a mere spectator watching this fight, it would look like Benaiah is outmatched. If you were to see Benaiah, remember we talked about last week, he literally jumps into a pit on a snowy day and he wrestles a lion. He probably thought that this lion was a threat to the people around him. And so he jumped in. If you were to, just as a spectator, watch this, he looks like the odds are against him. If you were to see this match, of him against this spectacular Egyptian, it would look like the odds are against him. It would look like he was outmatched. But watch what Benaiah does. One translation says he seized the Egyptian and he literally took the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and he killed the Egyptian with his own spear. Killed the Egyptian with his own spear sphere. One translation says he wrestled. I want to ask you a question today, Passion Life Church. What are you willing to wrestle for? What are you willing to wrestle for? Are you willing to wrestle for our nation? Because Tuesday, my church family, is voting day. Can I hear a good amen today? And if you sit back and you do not vote, don't complain to me that you don't like how the country is going. Because your voice, your vote is your voice. And today, listen, my church family, I'm willing to wrestle for this country to come back to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to What are you willing to wrestle for? And can I just encourage you, don't vote for personalities. Vote for principles. Listen, ask the Holy Spirit who you're supposed to vote for. Ask the Holy Spirit what of these candidates you need to do your research, line up with the principles of the word of God. It's interesting to me how people vote They vote contrary to the word of God, and then they're upset that there's so much evil in the world. What's wrong with this picture? Because we vote for a person. Oh, you know what? I like that, that candidate. He's so funny. But what are his standards? That's my question. Oh, this candidate, he is so sweet. But what are his standards? Can I hear a good amen today? Are you here this morning? There's no excuse this morning. You had an extra hour of sleep. Come on, somebody. What are you willing to wrestle for? Are we willing to wrestle for our family? Are we willing to wrestle for our marriages? And I love that Beniah was willing to wrestle with the enemy. And here's what Beniah did. Are you ready? Today's mess- I'm just so excited about today's message because I think it means so much. Beniah took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it. On the enemy, and he killed the enemy with his own weapon. I want to say that again. Beniah took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it on the enemy. Let me say it because it's the title of my message. Beniah turned it around. He turned it around. What was meant. To defeat Benaiah, Benaiah used to defeat the enemy. Have I got your attention today? When I was reading this, I, I this week I just kind of I just kind of sensed in my spirit that this is what God is doing in our lives. He wants to turn things around. It's the time for the turnaround right now. I'm telling you, it's the time for the turnaround in your family, in your life, at work, and here in this church. God is turning things around. Can I hear a good amen today? But I couldn't get past. This because when I saw what Beniah did, I'm thinking about what Joseph said to his brothers. Remember Joseph? He had an amazing dream. The dream was bigger than himself. It was a God-given dream, but the people around him, his own brothers, they hated him. They were jealous of him. So what did they do? They took him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He was falsely imprisoned, right? And so, But he goes from the prison to the palace because he interprets uh, one of the Pharaoh's guards or butlers dreams, the baker, and and it it promotes him. But what's interesting is his brothers stand before him one day because they needed food. Because there was a famine in the land. So they came not knowing that that was Joseph. But when they find out it was Joseph, how many of you know they were really sorrowful for what they did? Because they were attacking somebody's dream. But because they didn't know that that dream was actually for them, they attacked it. That's why it's very important that you be careful when you belittle other people's dreams. Because you don't know how their dream may actually affect your life. His dream actually saved their whole family. And when they had this realization, oh, now I need something from Joseph, they're sorrowful. But listen to the insight and the wisdom of Joseph. Joseph's response, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says this in the DRA translation. You thought evil against me, but God turned it. And he turned it into good that he might exalt me as, as, and present, you see, and he might save many People. I put a couple of different translations in here. I don't usually do this, but I felt like this was so good because the expanded Bible says this same scripture. You meant to hurt, to harm evil against me, but God turned your evil and meant it for good to save the lives of many people. Everybody say many people say my fight is not just about me. Because it's going to to affect other people. Look at this. It says, contemporary English version, you tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for my best so that he could save all of these people. And he's doing it now. The good news translation, you plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what had happened. Listen to the message translation. Joseph replied, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see? You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for good. And as you see all around you right now, life for many people. I love what the message says. It says, You planned against me, but what God did is He took those plans and He turned it around. And guess what? The enemy tried to stop the children of Israel, what would become that great nation from getting food. But you know what God did through Joseph and his dream? He turned the whole thing around that now many people could be fed and that nation could be saved. My church family, I'm telling you today, it's time for your turnaround. I wish you would believe that and respond a little bit better. It's time for your turnaround. God is turning things in your favor. My church family, I believe, and this has been in my heart for the last couple of months, it's time that God's going to start to restore to you things that the enemy has just taken away from your life, years that the enemy has taken away from your life. And I want today to just kind of unpack this because I think this is so powerful of what Beniah did. Because what Beniah did is he turned the weapon that was Aimed for him, he turned it on the enemy. And we see that this is what God does. And I think you're gonna see this is what he's doing in your life because this is how God turns it around. Here's number one. God turns your pain into power. How many of you had pain in life? Let me see. How many of you have been hurt? All of us. All of us have had pain. You know, I think sometimes the misconception is you think because I stand behind a pulpit that I don't have pain. We don't have pain. As Christians, we think it's going to be a, a pain-free life. Let me just tell you something about pain. Pain is actually an indicator that something is wrong in your life. It's an indicator. So that when you're just leaning against your stove, if you didn't have pain, and your stove and your, the gas flame was on and you're leaning against if you didn't have pain you could burn your whole hand off but pain is an indicator that something's wrong Now, let's just be honest <laughs> nobody likes pain now there's a saying no pain no gain when you're working out and they're not talking about oh you broke your back good you're moving forward that's not i do crossfit you know those people i do crossfit yeah. no pain is no gain. well god bless you brother but what are they saying that you lift the next day if you're sore. You're using muscles that you've never used before. No pain, no gain. But I want to be clear today as I talk about pain. God is not the one causing pain in your life. We live in a falling world, and there is an enemy, and his goal is to, for you to experience as much pain, to steal from you, to kill from you, and to destroy you. But my church family, I want you to listen you get to determine your perspective on pain. See, some people, what they do with the pain is they throw themselves a pity party. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help anybody else. Some people, their perspective on pain is everything that happened in the past. So as they think about pain, they continue to focus on the past of what happened. It shouldn't have happened. I wish it didn't happen. Or there's other people who understand that what God can do is take the very pain that has been inflicted by the enemy and he can turn it into power that not only affects your life, but like Joseph says, it affects the life of many. You get to choose how you process Pain. And can I tell you, if you will process pain saying, God, everything that the enemy has put against me, I'm going to allow you to turn it around for good in my life. Guess what happens? Now your pain has purpose. Instead of just a pity party. Oh, look at me. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, I, I get it. We have an enemy. He wants to destroy your life. And if you just sit in a pity party, it doesn't help anybody else. It doesn't advance the kingdom of God. But what I will tell you if you can understand this principle that God can turn everything that the enemy has put against you and he can turn it around for good. Guess what? Now you can process the pain is listen, I had, this pain had a purpose in my life. And again, I'm not one of these preachers that are telling you that God is bringing pain in your life just so you know you can overcome it and show the world. That's not, I I don't believe that. I believe pain comes from people sometimes who make mistakes. All right, here we go. I know I'm I just know I'm not going to get any men's on this one. One, but I'm going to have to say it. Some of the pain is self-inflicted in our lives. So we can't blame God for self-inflicted pain, bad decisions. But I want to tell you, my church family, in my own life, even my bad decisions that caught me pain, God can turn around and give it a purpose to reach people and advance the kingdom of God. He can turn your pain into power. My church family, God is in the business of recycling our pain and turning it into power and using it for someone else's gain. Listen, I love what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says. It says, and the God of all grace, everybody say grace, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered, this word in the Greek suffered means you've been exposed to evil. Listen, it says after you have suffered a little bit, he himself will restore you and will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You know, in the New Testament, really, the only type of suffering that the Bible talks about for the believer is the suffering of persecution. That when we live our life worthy of the salt that God called us, we will experience persecution. Look at Paul's life. He was beaten. He, he, was, he was suffering, right? So that's the only... I'm not talking about... Because people get confused and they, they think about, oh, you know, I, I, it's cause I, you know, I've been diagnosed with this and God is trying to teach me something. God, God is not trying to inflict pain. God is not schizophrenic. He doesn't send his son to die on the cross, right? He doesn't send his son and say, by his stripes you were healed and then inflict you with pain so he can look good. What kind of God would that be? My church family, come on somebody. We got to renew our minds today. Can I, can I hear a good amen today? And I think, let's see if you agree with this statement, because as we talk about pain, I mean, no one rolls out the carpet and invites tragedy into their life. But here's what I found. What can happen is our greatest gifts and passions are often the byproduct of our worst tragedies and failures. And I want you to understand something today, my church family. We have to understand the enemy is fighting you on the very thing that you're called to. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, and we know that all things, everybody say that with me, say all things, all things work together for good to those that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. You know, I looked up those words in the Greek, these words that say work together. It means to put forth power together to assist. So, Here, the enemy inflicted pain on me. Maybe my decisions inflicted pain, but what God does is he puts forth his power to assist. Watch this. He puts forth his power to assist you and turns that into good. Can I hear a good amen today? Can I give you uh, an example today? I've had a lot of pain in my life growing up. Man, if I were here to sh- share my testimony, and I love sharing my testimony because I think it, it just it, it helps people understand that God can turn, you know, pain into power. But, you know, I had a conversation with my mommy and my mom have a great, great relationship. And we talked about our lives and, you know, she uh, had me before she was married. And when she uh, was pregnant with me, she actually went to a a minister and said, I'm pregnant. My boyfriend has left me. And you know, from that time, I've never met my dad. I've never seen a picture of what what he, he looks like. So there was a lot of issues in my life, but you know that the minister told her, he said, why don't you just abort your son, just abort this baby. It's a mistake. Isn't it interesting that the enemy tries to fight you on the very thing that you're called to? And she said, man, that was, that was tough when a minister told me that. But she said, I wanted to fight for a family. And so growing up, there was a lot of issues that I had in my life was adopted you know, um, parents went through a divorce at 19 years old. I had a lot of pain, man. And I was trying like a lot of people just to numb that pain with drugs and girlfriends and different things like that. And I came to the point at 19 years old when I was on my knees going to commit suicide. And I said, God, I've tried everything. And I remember hearing the voice of the Lord so clearly. And he spoke to me, he says, no, you haven't. You haven't tried living 100% for me. And he was Right. And I said, well, I'm ready to take my life if you don't intervene. And then he said, take your life. I said, what? He said, take your life, give it to me, and I'll give back to you a life that you never could imagine. And my church family, he has done just that. And here's what I love. Yeah, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. And do you know how many people, I was in a youth ministry I was in youth ministry for 20 20 years of my ministry. You know how many young, this is how God turns your pain into power. You know how many people, you know how many young people I've talked out of suicide? Do you know why I could talk them out of suicide? Because that was one of my greatest pains. And there's gonna be, There's going to be people in heaven. There will be people in heaven today because we were able to talk. There are going to be people in heaven today because God turned my pain into power and they hit and influenced them in a decision to give their life to Jesus. I'm not exaggerating. What I'm telling you today after 20 years there's probably been hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. You know how many families... I've been able to help, restore, because I, my, my, my family went through a divorce. It was painful. And I'm not sitting here going, man, I love pain. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that you have to understand that now what God is doing in my life is everything that he tried to assault me with, God is turning around, and I'm using it against him because he turns pain into power. I love it. I'm On the devil. And you got to understand that. That's why you can't be ashamed of your story. Are you getting something out of this today? And that's why, number two, this is what God does. This is how we continue to advance God's kingdom. Watch this. You have to understand, see... We war with our words because, see, while we're reading this and we're looking at Benaiah, Benaiah is wrestling with a physical enemy. But the Bible tells us, because remember, we said in part one, remember, the stories of the Old Testament help us realize New Testament truths. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, our fight is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, right? The Bible tells us that. So watch this. This is how you war. This is how you wrestle with the word of your testimony. The word of your testimony. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the what? The Come on, say aloud. And the what? The and the word of their testimony. My church family, the blood was shed by Jesus, and that blood. The blood he shed is powerful. The enemy is defeated because Jesus shed his blood, died on the cross, and rose again. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. But watch this. The word of your testimony is evidence that the blood works. The word of your testimony testimony. Can I tell you this too? And I love, I love sharing my testimony like I just did, because it also reminds the devil that he lost in areas in my life that what he tried to assault me with, I'm going to, and God is going to turn around and it's going to not only empower me, but it's going to reach people. We have to share our testimony. My church family, I believe what God does is he'll take your pain and he'll turn it into a platform. I love using The very pain that the devil inflicted in my life because he turned it into power, now it pains the devil every time he hears that he lost. Every time I share my testimony, it reminds him that he is defeated and he's not gonna devour this one. See, it pains the devil because your testimony inspires people to turn things around in their life. You need to share your testimony. This is how we war with words. In my church family, if we allow God to translate our adversity into a ministry, then our pain becomes somebody else's gain. I'm telling you now the way that I process my pain is totally different. And again, don't get me wrong. I don't have this idea like, yeah, come on, bring on the pain because I know it's going to be a testimony. That's, that's not my idea. But I can understand what God can do with the pain that has been inflicted. He can turn it around. He can turn your mess into a message. Come on, somebody. He can take all the temptations, all the trials that the enemy has thrown, and he can make it, and it will become your testimony. See, I have a theory. The more problems you have, the more potential you have to help other people with those problems. When you share your testimony, though, Did you know that you're overcoming a fear in this fearless series? See, when you share your testimony, you're overcoming the the fear of vulnerability. Vulnerable people share in God's victories. Aren't you so encouraged when you hear Paul, the apostle Paul say, in my weakness, he was made strong. And everything you when want, the, when the apostle Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, you go, all right, I got some thorns in my flesh too. Doesn't that help you connect? See, here's what I've, I've, I've learned. I've learned that we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. That's why if you can't share your testimony, you got to look at your pride a little bit. Because we don't share our testimony because we want people to think that we are all that. Listen, can I just tell you, you are not all that without Jesus. He's the one that brings us through. This is what I love about our life groups that we're having on Tuesday. People sitting around discussing marriage. This Tuesday, we're talking about your soul. People just being vulnerable with their stories and say, hey, this is what I've come through. I love it. You know why? Because when they share their testimony, it builds our faith around us. And because I'll look at somebody like Angie, right? And she was at life group and she was talking about because you look at Angie, right? She's got she's got more degrees than a thermometer. Come on somebody, right? And she and all the things that she did, and when you look at her up here on stage and and she she's so stylistic and and amazing, right? But when she's sitting in life group and starts to begin to share, when she was a little girl in Africa running through the streets and she begins to become vulnerable and she begins to share everything that God has done in her life, my church family, it enforces God's victory and it, it advances the kingdom of God. We war with our words. Are you learning something here today? I want, I want to give you some homework this week. I know that when you have conversations with people, you look for little openings about things that you know about, right? Talking with the guys, okay, when are we gonna talk about football? Gotta talk about football because I got some stuff about football to say, right? But can you look this week for openings to share what God has done in your life? One or two minutes, because this is what it does. We overcome by the word Our testimony, my church family, has God brought you through some things? Can I hear a good amen? Come on, has God brought you through? How many of you, God has healed your body? Come on, put your hands together if God has healed your body. How many of you, God, come on, He's financially supplied for you when you didn't know? Come on, somebody, you have a testimony, you have a testimony. And that's how we enforce God's victory. That's how God turns it around and uses the very things that the enemy tried to use against you. Now when you share your testimony, you're enforcing God's victory. Share your testimony. Overcome the fear of being vulnerable. Because vulnerable people share in God's victory. Here's the last one for today. The Bible says that Benaiah went and fought this Egyptian with a club in his hand. Number three, we've got to value what's in our hand. Don't underestimate it. It's interesting to me when I read this this week and was studying, nothing in the Bible is insignificant. Nothing. What the enemy had, what Benaiah had in his hand, it's interesting. And I think God wants to show us something because I, when I started thinking about what Benaiah had in his hand, I, all these scriptures started coming to my mind. This is what the Holy Spirit does, my church family. If you'll just start reading the Bible, man, the Bible says the Holy Spirit brings back things to your remembrance. And I thought, why is the Bible highlighting what Beniah had in his hand? Well, number one, it was a mismatch. The odds, it looked like the odds were against him. But then I started to think about God cares what he put in your hand. Moses, remember Moses when God called Moses? He says, Hey, I want you to go deliver my people. Burning bush. Moses is like, I stutter. I'm not a good speaker. God says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? A shepherd's rod. He says, take that what's in your hand and lay it down, and it turned into a snake. If what God gives us, if we give it back to him, it'll be supernatural. Here's what I found, my church family. Look at me. God often uses what you have in your hand to bring about what he's put in your heart. Moses wanted to deliver the children of Israel. That's why he killed a man. You remember he killed a guy? Because in his heart, he had deliverance in his heart. He was just going about it the wrong way. So in his heart, he had deliverance, but God was going to use what he put in his hand to bring about what God had placed in his heart. Come on, that's good. That's good. Watch this. So as, as Moses starts to use the rod, it's called the Moses' rod. But as he begins to use The rod, it becomes, the Bible calls it the rod of God. And so when he's at the precipice, right, of the Red Sea, and he starts crying out to God, God's like, why are you praying to me? What do you have in your hand? Use what you have in your hand. Stretch that rod out, Moses. And he stretches the rod out and the Red Sea parts. God knows what he's put in your hand. Can I hear a good amen today? So we cannot just, yeah, you can give the Lord a good round of applause because this 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 excites me, because God knows what he put in your hand, but listen, you've got to value it, and you can't despise it, my church family. You cannot despise what God has put in your hand. It's interesting. Read the story of David and Goliath. The Bible highlights what David had in his hand. The Bible actually says that David did not win the battle because he had a sword and a spear. It says that David won the battle because he had a slingshot in his hand. David knew that if he used what in his hand, God would win the battle. Why? Because he knew what God had placed in his hand. Why do you say that, Pastor Phil? Because when he walked up into Goliath, he said, my God is going to deliver you, Goliath, into my hand. It's powerful. It's powerful. And so oftentimes we look at our life. Do you know what you have in your hand? Do you even know what you're really good at, what God has placed in your life, the gifts in your life? He's placed those things in your life. The Bible says your gifts will bring you before great people. But the problem is people don't even know their own gifting. And what God has done, because a lot of times we settle for a career instead of a calling. Come on, my church family. But here's what I'm telling you. If you can understand that the gifts and the callings, and you know what they are, you can use them for God's glory. But I'm going to tell you, if you, don't use what you have in your hand. Oftentimes, you know what it is? And we're going to address another fear here. Is because we have a fear of inadequacy. See, if you look at David and Goliath, what David has in his hand doesn't look like it will defeat Goliath. If you look at what Beniah is going to use against the spectacular Egyptian, it doesn't look like he has enough And can I just tell you this whole idea and this whole fear of inadequacy comes and the root of it is a lot of it is because we are comparing ourselves with other people because you're not valuing what you have in your hand because maybe you're looking at me and going, man, you know, pastor Phil's a pretty good preacher. Man, I didn't even get any amens on that. All right, let me try this. Pastor Phil's a pretty good preacher, right? Oh, thank you. You're a little late, but that's all right. So you think because this isn't in your hand, that what's in your hand doesn't matter. But I want to tell you today that it's God that's put what's in your hand. Not me, not other people. It's God. And if you're going to compare yourself to other people, you're never going to use what's in your hand. My church family, listen, I hate to break this news to you, but the standard for Phil Valdez is not what God invested in Joyce Meyer. What God and the standard for Phil Valdez is not what God invested in T.D. Jakes. The standard for Phil Valdez is not, I don't know who your preachers are that you like to watch. I'm just, the standard for Phil Valdez is not what God invested in in Kenneth Copeland. The standard for Phil Valdez is what God has put in the hand of Phil Valdez. I'm going to tell you something. You got to get this. There is never on this earth going to be another Phil Valdez. Never. My church family, all of us have been born by the creator and created as originals. But most people will die a cheap carbon copy of somebody else. And it's your difference, actually, that makes you valuable to the world. Can I just tell you, there's never, ever, ever going to be another you. You know, it's funny. Somebody um, was telling me in the lobby, um, we went this last uh, Wednesday night, took a lot of our team to Elevation Nights in San Diego. They have some of the most incredible worship. And if you ever worship with 8,000 people, man, I'll tell you, it's like a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. Can I just say this? That's why it's important you come to church. It's one thing you worshiping in your house but if we can fill these seats, man, and get people worship, you're going to get a little taste of heaven every single week. But uh, a friend of mine was telling me, because I have pictures of myself as a youth pastor. My hair was blonde. He used to dye it blonde. Had the faux hawk. Everybody remember the faux hawk? And when I was a youth pastor, that's how I dressed. And, and so she was showing me a picture of Stephen Furtick when he had his hair all blonde and dyed. And she's like, every time I see him and blonde hair, I'm thinking of you. And when you had your blonde hair and I said, you know, what's funny is that when I was a youth pastor, parents would get mad at me because all of the kids, not all of them, but a lot of the kids, a lot of the guys in the youth ministry wanted to dye their hair blonde. So you had to start having all these kids walk in with faux hawks and blonde hair. And I, I understand that imitation is the highest form of flattery. It was, it was cool. And everything reproduces after its own kind. But the truth is you can wear a faux hawk, you can dye your hair, but you'll never be me. And the truth is, no one is supposed to be like you. And if you're going to see this thing turn around, my church family, you've got to value what's in your hand. Because here's what I know. Even with Joseph and his dream, when he was at Potiphar's house, he used what he had in his hand he used his gifts and talents and he rose to the top. In the prison, he was unjustly accused. And in the prison, he kept using what he had in his hand, his gifts and his talents. And it actually, it was that that set him before Pharaoh. And his willingness to interpret somebody else's dream, he actually did it in the prison. He learned in the prison of his life that he had a gift from God to interpret dreams cuz so we don't see that before we see then we know that he had the dream probably knew what it was but the bible doesn't say but he used what he had in his hand and when he used what he had in his hand in the prison it took him to the palace which then his brothers would come and he would make that statement in my church family, I want to tell you something. Some of us, when we're faced with giants, the first thing we do is we let go of what we have in our hand. See, some of you have such an incredible gift God has put in your hand to make money. You're a business person. It's in your hand. But in your heart, you really want to help people. This is where I think the church is so important. Some of you watching online, you're, your business is, I mean, you could literally, you could, Sign something, and you could buy Passion Life Church a building just like that because the gift that's in your hand, but in your heart is ministry. So let God use what He's put in your hand to lead your life to what He's put in your heart. Don't despise what's in your hand. And I love sharing my testimony because it just reminds the devil. I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. I was thinking about this and thinking about all these things, and I, I just think that God is so amazing. You know, here I was, this, this kid, seventh grade, I failed. My dad used to call me stupid all the time in Spanish, Stupido. Bring home my, my report card and F, 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 show my dad. And he'd say, You failed. I said, Yeah, I know. In my mind, I'm thinking, You always called me stupid. What do you expect? That's the way I thought of myself. Until around the age of twenty, I had to renew my mind and found out I could have the mind of Christ. I could have the mind of Christ, and God would use me to pioneer a church. Me, people thought my own father thought I was stupid. And then two years ago, sit down and God would give me a revelation on gratitude, and I'd write a book called "The Power of Thank You." Seventh seventh grader who failed. Barely, barely passed and barely got out of high school, went to Bible college. And now this day, the book is being translated into Urdu, which is going to go to about 1,000 pastors in Pakistan. And then almost now, it's almost like once a month now, I'm on a Zoom call preaching to pastors in Pakistan. What am I doing? I, I know what I have in my hand. And God turned my pain into power. And I'm warring with my words and sharing my testimony because it's enforcing the kingdom of God. It's enforcing his victory. I'm going to tell you something as I close today. The Egyptian that Benaiah fought, Egypt is always a type of the world and the world system. In my church family, I know it's discouraging to look out and see what's going on in the world but we can't complain about the world that God's called us to change because he's put something in your hand to change the world. He's put something in your hand and the world is big. The world is strong, but Jesus said, take heart because I have overcome the world. Can I hear a good amen today? And so as I close, can I tell you this? You got to bring what you got to the fight you got to bring what's in your hand, your gifts, your talents, and keep using it until God totally turns everything around. And I believe the time is now. God is turning it around. Would you say that with me? Say, God is turning it around. God takes what doesn't look like enough, and he makes it more than enough. I'm going to say it one more time because I got one amen on that. God takes what looks like not enough and he makes it more than enough. And you know why, my church family? So we don't get the credit, but he gets all the glory. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a good round of applause today. Come on, say this with me. It's time for the turnaround. One more time, loud. It's time for the turnaround. Come on, let's stand together as as we pray. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Would you take your hands and just hold them up like this? Father, in the name of Jesus, you're turning pain into power. Father, I thank you for every testimony in this room. It's evidence of your power. It's evidence that the devil lost. But Lord, like David did, David defeated Goliath with a slingshot. But the Bible tells us he took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off. David took Goliath's weapon and used it against him. And so today, Lord God, we thank you for our testimony. And we decide today that the giants, their heads are cutting off. They're going to be cut off today. They're not getting back up. And Lord, today we value what you have placed in our hands. Lord, I pray today that we would stir up the gifts and the talents that are in these people's lives. We value and we honor you and worship you when we use what you put in our hands. And Lord, we want to see the kingdom of God advance. And we thank you that you are t- turning everything that the enemy meant for evil. You're turning it into good. Thank you, God. We worship you and we praise you, God. Thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. We don't ever like to close out a service without giving people the awesome opportunity to know Jesus. I'd like to say this prayer this morning. If you have never asked Jesus to come inside your heart this morning, I would love for you to, to say this and invite him into your heart. If you're ready today to repent of all your sins and Watch God turn your pain into power. He'll do it today. And I'd like to pray this prayer. It's very simple. You just pray it with faith. Repeat after me. My church family, if there's anyone that's praying it today for the first time, I don't want them to feel like they're alone. Would you say this prayer with me? Come on, say, Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. Father God, forgive me of all of my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's welcome all those who prayed that prayer today. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.